The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. I wish I could speak Hatties so I could grab you by the shoulder and say, you weak-minded fool. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig Hanks, your host, and I don't think that there are seven words that will make a woman fall in love with you, but I do know of seven that will allow for that possibility, and they are, hello, my name is not Ken Johnson. That's not what your girlfriend says. Just saying. That was a dumb response. You're a dumb response. All right. If you had sold it with some more confidence, it would have been pretty solid, actually. I'm good with that. And what's the only thing scarier than a barrel full of bone tar? The contents of the mind of Ryan Bruckman. Equally addictive and destructive. Bone That's tar. not what your girlfriend says. Uh, Ken, you just ruined our freaking episode. No. <sighs> All right, maybe. All right, whatever. <laughs> uh, okay, welcome to the Legendarium. And uh, sorry I don't have anything cleverer than that. It's back to regular insults. I did get... I got no negative feedback. That doesn't mean there wasn't any to be sent, but I didn't get any negative feedback. So take that, Ryan. You and your hater scowls can uh, suck it or that, something. <laughs> that's fine. It's okay. If you, if you need that little echo chamber of people who tell you you do a good job, we, we'll, we can set that up. Why do you think I've been on a podcast for four, four years? years. <laughs> a little pat on the head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway... That's yeah. That's all you get today. We are talking name of the wind. This is part two. This is chapters thirty six through sixty six. And uh, so, if if you're curious about what happens in that, uh, well, I guess if you're worried about spoilers, just know if you haven't made it to chapter sixty six, then stop listening now. Get there before you continue listening. Uh, for the rest of you, if you can't remember what happens at the end of chapter sixty six, um, it's uh he oh he, he just saved what's her name fellow from the fellow. fire yeah yeah the bone t- the the bone tar. the bone tar explosion that almost destroys the entire lab right so yeah that's where yes. we are from basically from the admins to the unit to the university to that moment anyway he becomes a hero so that's what we'll be talking about in just a moment but a little bit of housekeeping just because uh patreon.com slash legendarium is where you can go and support the show i finally sent out our spring patreon packages and those have started to arrive so all of those five dollar and above uh, patrons have received those and I'm, I'm hoping you guys all enjoy them i say this every time i send packages out i always say i gotta figure out something else to do because it's so costly especially for our overseas listeners to to send anything besides a piece of paper mm-hmm. and yeah. even then it's pretty pricey but to send a book it's like 20 bucks a package or something like that so i gotta figure something else out but i probably won't because i'm not that creative <laughs> and so i'll send out some more packages in a few months um anyway so if you go to patreon.com slash legendarium you can uh you can not only support the show but you can sign up for some extra goodies if you are at uh, three dollars or above on the donor schedule 
Uh, we're also on Reddit. Thelegendarium.reddit.com is where you can join the conversation. And we are now on Instagram. Ooh. I'm not exactly sure why, except that I'm hearing that that's where all the cool kids are. And um, we are we are told we are supposed to be there. Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, we're not cool kids, but we aspire. Well, Megan, Megan tells us we need to be there, and she's cool. I guess. Whatever. Anyway, um, and I will also apologize for last week's recording or editing mishap. Last week was the Avengers episode, mm-hmm. and I didn't edit the last minute of audio, and so some people got some surprise, very loud music right at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry about that. And it won't happen again, which probably means that this episode won't come out until Tuesday morning because uh, I'm quite ill and I'm going to want to go to bed right after we finish recording this. So uh, it's Sunday night. We're recording. I'll edit it on Monday. You'll get it on Tuesday. And by now, it's already been that long. So you've dealt with it. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to say deal with it. Uh, All right. (laughs) Maybe we want to... I kind of feel like we've already done... Uh, a synopsis but ken did you have one this time i didn't even make one that's i mean it so here's the thing here's your synopsis if you both goes to hogwarts yeah school of naming and and and, and, uh this is our this is our like fifth book in the series all right this this section of name of the wind is like the fifth book where it's just like it's all the minutiae of going to class and what you do outside of class and who you're hanging out with and you know, who the Draco Malfoy of the school is it's and all like, that stuff. It's like one through four all wrapped up into one, Yeah, you know, 30 chapters. So that's pretty much it. He, I, go, he I, goes to some classes. He gets, he gets, to, he gets to Hogwarts, immediately uh, meets Draco Malfoy, who starts to make his life uh, miserable, and, you know, the rich kid Ambrose, and uh, gets himself expelled from the archives, but immediately finds himself to be the coolest kid in town and uh, gets himself whipped for burning a teacher. Finds a lute, learns how to play it, earns himself a reputation that saves a girl. There you go. Yeah, Ryan, what were you gonna say? I was just gonna say that's actually it's something that I really noticed um, rereading through this. Um, this series as a whole is not this dangerous ground is not high adventure in the sense of no, no, both going off and doing crazy things like we'll get there kind of. But it's always about what's happening. It's the it is the more like you said the minutia of the event that he's in at that moment. It's class. It's the interaction with the people, which you can argue whether or not that's good or bad in an epic fantasy tale like this is. Right. Like, a, a lot of times, uh, an epic fantasy will deal. It, we we do this all the time with Sanderson books, for instance, mm-hmm. um, where the book deals with very heavy level three topics. Um, gosh, now I feel like I have to explain that, but I don't want to. So go listen to whatever episode <laughs> that was called the three levels of story. Um, it, it, it deals with some heavy level three stuff, whereas this book is much more mundane. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. I know that that word has some negative connotations. I just mean it's more day to day. It's more of an establishment. It's so that you can understand where he get like with his magic and everything this is a great way to teach magic you know and and where Kvothe gets his knowledge as a whole which makes him so special right and we also get a chance to compare him against other children to realize just how special he is because he does things that no one else can do in the sense of getting into the university 
for negative three talents. Less three talents. Yes, right. less three talents. He gets that. Um, and and I'm trying to remember offhand. You know, getting uh, his moving through the student ranks as quickly as he as he does. Like it's there's something for being like a prophesied child, and then there's this is Quoth uh, the savant, and we're getting to see that at the beginning here. The question is, when you get into the university, knowing this story and knowing where it started with him saying, I was expelled from the university before most people are even old enough to be admitted. How long is this going to last? How long is his time going to last here? Um, yeah, it sounds, uh, like, it sounds like most people are at least 18 mm-hmm. before they get in, right? I mean, right. give or take. And he was 15. 15. So. And so, yeah, we'll be there for at least a year or two, it sounds like. I I don't expect we're going to make it through the book. I, well, I expect that's going to be the end of the book is he's expelled. But that's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's, uh, what I want to do before we dive into our other points is I want to bring up some of the Reddit stuff. Uh, this was yeah. a surprisingly light week on Reddit. Shame on all of you. Um, but we did get some good questions on Reddit. That I think three or four came in. Uh, so here's one from just another Joe Hansen. What stuck with me most in this section was his performance at the Aeolian. I guess I just want to mention how absolutely beautiful chapters 54 and 55 are. As a musician, I feel like Rothfuss truly captured that moment. So to catch you up in case it's been a little while, this is the first time that Quoth publicly uh, demonstrates his... Um, his musical aptitude. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's a place called the Aeolian. This is where all the master music- musicians go to prove themselves. You actually, instead of being paid to play, you, it's, yeah, you yeah, pay you put up to money. play. Uh, and then you hope to gain a patron or something like that. So he gets right. up there, plays the most difficult song in the world, and then a string breaks, and then he still finishes the most difficult song in the world, and everybody's astounded. Thanks to life in the wilderness. Ooh. And uh, then he makes a bunch of money. Uh, so anyway, that's that's the that's the he basic. Gets his pipes. He gets yeah. He gets his talent pipes. The that's talent right. pipes is what that's all about. You pay the talent to go for your pipes to be able to play, uh, so that you can then play there from then on out anytime and play anywhere you want because it's it's the indicator of being a master a master and, and that's yeah that's the way you get into being a pay or to uh receiving a patron which you know basically pays you to to be you know some rich yeah a patron yeah. yeah the same thing that we same count thing that on. we yeah that we keep asking for every week exactly yeah. but yeah and also important is he gets a girl from the audience to sing with him on the lay of sir savian treliard the song that I good memory is important throughout this entire book. So yeah, the girl turns out to be Dana. We'll to get to, Dana, yeah. we'll get to her in just a moment, but uh, Ken, you're not a musician. If I'm incorrect, I, I mean, I you sing, sing. Okay. Yeah, but I don't, do sing. I don't play anything. Ryan and I are both pianists, um, et cetera. I mean, uh, I'm playing pianists, the, I'm playing the, the organ for the first time in public this weekend. Wow, oh, that'll, that'll be fun. That. Yeah, I won't. No, I, that's fine. I can I can plunk music out on guitar and no, but uh, but piano, I, I but wanted to ask you about uh, what just another Johansson says, which is uh, as a musician, I feel like Roth has truly captured that moment. Did you feel that way? Did this section move you? Yeah, um, because and the reason. Because this is the way that most musicians, I would say, want their music to be felt by... The way he describes it is the way that he wants... We want our music to be felt by those who listen to it. 
um, especially when it's uh, something that is near and dear to our hearts. If it's a, whether it's something that you've composed or something that a song that means a lot to you because of some personal experience or whatever, you want it to carry and be more than just background noise, like to be, you know, that radio music that you talk over, whatever. You want someone to become enthralled in what you're doing, in the, in the story of the music, in the feel of what's there, um, and by on the other end when you listen to music that's tends to be for me how i identify music that is good for me is whether or not there's an emotional connection to what i'm listening to i i totally agree except on just some really minor points which is i I don't think that for music to be worthwhile it has to be paid attention to I, i recall one dinner i went to my wife and i went to this fancy schmancy place and there was a pianist playing and the way the songs that he chose and the way that he played demanded your attention during the entire dinner, but it was supposed to be background music. It mm-hmm. was supposed to be something that we could talk over. And I think that's a real skill as well, knowing what your music is supposed to accomplish. So like if I put yeah. on a record and I've got my headphones on and I'm, I want to pay attention, then I want something to astound me and pull me in. But mm-hmm. if I am studying or writing, then I'm going to put on something that's more kind of hypnotic and background uh, stuff. Anyway, that's the only nitpick I would have with what you said. Music serving its purpose. Yeah. I, yeah. But I would say that even those artists who create who create kind of that ambient world music that's meant for, you know, your massage spas and, you know, the yoga classes and things <laughs> right. like that, where your, your focus is elsewhere, those artists... They don't want the music to be ignored. They're just, but they're okay with it being in the realm that it's created for. Well, I mean, we talk yeah. all the time about on a movie soundtrack. If you're in the movie and you get out and you say, "Oh, I didn't even notice the music," sometimes that's the sign of a great soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, so there is that to be said. Back to the Hulk both thing, though. Uh, the way he tells the story, he did grab everybody's attention, and. I mean, it would be easier in this type of culture that Rothfuss is describing than it would be today because we're so used to pictures, um, moving or otherwise, that right. that it, it would be intensely difficult for a musician to pull somebody in with a ballad like this. Um, does that make sense? Anyway, yeah. so I think it's maybe a little bit hard for a modern audience to relate to unless they're very used to uh that sort of high art yeah you you go to the opera you go to the theater you go to the whatever but i i got nothing else go ahead (laughs) (laughs) i'm like what do i got i got there i think there's there's some truth to what you're saying there in the sense of how frequently now do you in order to attract a different audience than the blue hair audience is what it's you know i don't know what that means older generation oh blue hair okay all right so you. See, the order- thing is, my wife literally just dyed her hair blue. So I was like, <laughs> "What hipsters?" No, no, no. This is yes. in order to bring a different. For example, like every uh, probably every time it comes into town or whatever, the when they do the Zelda concert, the Zelda Symphony. Yes, yes. Like you show. So something that they do with those is they now project visuals up on a screen while the orchestras are playing right. things like that. It's it's a change in generation, so that we we can't just go sit and listen to the symphony play, which is pathetic. Um, <laughs> I gotta say. But there, there are a few, th- I mean, there are chances to do that. Um, if you're ever in Utah during the summer, I highly recommend going up to the Deer Valley Music Festival. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Absolute beautiful backdrop for music. Um, 
Utah Symphony plays up in Deer, the Deer Valley Resort, on the, and you sit up on this hill. Absolutely gorgeous. But they, that's one of those situations where they don't have the projections, things like that. But you're immersed in an entirely different realm right. than just being in a, in a concert hall or whatever. Um, I think that... <laughs> Can I tell you a story? I went to that last year, and they did like a day of or a night of John Williams. They did all this John Williams music, mm-hmm. and they got to Indiana Jones, and the like people behind me—I don't know if it was a family or a group of friends or whatever—they all started going, "What the heck is this?" And oh. I almost turned around and threw them out. I was so angry. <laughs> oh, I was like, wrong. "Why are you here? Yeah. Real fans wanted your ticket." <laughs> anyway, yeah. No, I I would That's be interested wrong. to. I I think that we could still have this sort of setup if we had artists who created with that in mind yeah we don't create with that mentality anymore we don't create the ballad styling very often anymore we don't create with the idea of saying i'm going to capture everything so that you hear uh subtext in the you know in the actual music music. yeah um there's a i don't want to take us too far off on a tangent or whatever but there is a style we're already there a style of guitar playing uh, and I'm spacing what it's called, um, but there is it's it's based out of Hawaii, um, and basically it's it's a specific tuning, it's a specific setup, so that it sounds like multiple guitars are playing off of a single guitar. Nice. And I saw we we had a guy come and perform for our company, um, uh, who does this and world famous guitarist setup, and it was one of the most incredible experiences when he played some of the more instrumental pieces um, that he does. Because it did that for me, like I actually, like both thing. It, it did that where I was pulled into this, you know, the the sound of this stream coming through while part of another section of the guitar is coming through, um, slack key. It's called slack key guitar. Oh, okay, I've heard uh, of that, but I don't know that I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, look uh, look up slack key guitar. Um, you'll probably run across. There's only like a dozen slack key guitarists. If we are, did, like, if we good. ever did decent show notes, I would say, oh yeah, I'll just put that in the show notes. But we but don't. No. So. We probably should. But <laughs> it's, on, really it, it's on the legendarium list of resolutions. That's right. Yeah. So I'm saying it, it. it's rare, but it can still be done to have that sort of setup. Um, and those who are able to do it, I think, are storytelling masters in music. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, let's move on from the music stuff and go to a question from Convoluted Boy on Reddit. A uh, convoluted boy wants to know, let's see, within this section, we see the origin of one of Quos' nickna- nicknames in Bloodless. Any thoughts on this scene and possible implications if this story regarding Quoth was kind of fabricated? Uh, okay, first of all, to catch everybody up, Quoth breaks the rules and he's brought up on charges. Well, yeah, he in takes the, a candle and he's tricked into taking a candle mm, into the archives. Right, and so he's banned from the archives and is his sentence is whipping. He gets three lashes publicly. Wait, is this the same one? No. No, or is this, when he, this he is when gets, he uses malfeasance. It's the malfeasance. That's right. Yeah, and we'll ta- we can talk about that yeah, later. Yeah. Uh, but anyway... And so in this one, he has to get whipped. And so he takes a drug beforehand that keeps him coherent. And also it, it's like a, it dulls his pain, it dulls and his it, pain and it stops it him also from bleeding. Con- yeah, it constricts his, his vessel so he doesn't bleed. So anyway, so he gets whipped and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, he didn't bleed. And he just walked out. Oh, he's so amazing. Um, anyway, so that's what happened. Now, the question here, any thoughts on this scene and possible implications if this story regarding Quoth was kind of fabricated? So now we're getting into the big uh, topic du jour, I feel like, with the Kingkiller Chronicles, which is the unreliable narrator. And I got to say, at this point in the story, at least, 
and I, I don't see this changing unless uh, Rothfuss inserts some things maybe in the interludes or something. Uh, but at this point in the story, it is minimally interesting to me at best. The idea of the unreliable narrator. I'm yeah. just not sure. I haven't had a reason yet to disbelieve Coat Close. Yeah, um, that's where I sit too. I, and so like the thing is, yeah, there's every chance. I also don't have any reason to believe everything he says, but it's an unfalsifiable thing you know this right. uh this unreliable narrator question at this point at least it, right it's at the point where it's the same as as hearing a story from somebody else you know you don't have any reason not to believe them you don't have any reason to believe they're how much they're embellishing anything like that so when he says i i took this drug and i didn't bleed and now they call me bloodless maybe i don't have any reason to not believe that and it it makes for a good story and it it, it is an interesting part of his history coming up as to, to and, why that happened. And this is his story. Why do we care if it's accurate? It, sure. In the sense, simply because this is his story to tell about his life. He's authoring it. And sure, if, you're, if your big holdup on this is, you know, trying to figure out is he embellishing things he we know that he's a demaru and so that he's got a knack for storytelling and for for doing this why does it matter because yeah. are you fact checking this is this has have you seen anything in him that has said anything other than that this is the truth and the fact that he's coming out and saying like some of the things that have been said about me are just it's the way that stories go i you i i can't control how a story changes about me I didn't bleed, and so I became, quote, the bloodless. And the way that the students start describing how that is or, you know, the, the different pieces of it, that's not my fault. That's not his fault at all. All he's So when he's talking to Chronicler, his version of this story is just simply, this is the this is the way that I perceive my story. And if you want to call me a liar about it or say that I'm embellishing or whatever, that's fine, I guess. But, but what are you doing besides ruining a story? Yeah, there's... Right. It, it does not take anything now, away from his story I, if this is not exactly true. That's I, kind of what I, I don't. Uh, I don't subscribe to the notion that truth doesn't matter in story. But truth is an anchor. It's it, it needs to exist. There's there's a great book out there. Uh, it's almost required reading for any improv artist out there. It's called Truth in Comedy, and it's the idea that truth in whether it be in comedy or in anything is the anchor with which that everybody attaches themselves to something. So they need to recognize something. And by giving a certain degree of truth, you are able to connect and then just, and then explore and discover. But if you remove all truth and make something absolutely 100% nonsensical, it is hard for you to make a connection to that, whether it be story, music, anything like that. There's, there's just, it is difficult to connect to something that you don't even have a base of true kernel of truth in. Right. That's true. I'll say this also as the new as the new reader to this story through 66 chapters I feel like I don't care whether it's true or how much of it is true or how much of it is embellished I feel like the only reason that I care now is because people have told me that I should care you know what I mean it, it's become a topic of how much on the reddit's uh, threads and everything and I don't want to I don't want to discount convoluted boys point because you know it's valid but if it hadn't come up to me from people who had read it, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't ask myself how but much you, of this is true. But you do a little bit. 
Well, now I do. I wish I could speak Hatties so I could grab you by the shoulder and say, you weak-minded fool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're using an old Jedi I, mind trick. That's okay. right. I'm, I'm more interested in getting through the story and then deciding how much of it was true or not. Yeah, I'm not concerned about it on the way. My, my, is my point. Yeah, the end result is if the story is false, then what? Right. So, and this brings me into another point. This one is one that I wanted to bring up, something that I highlighted in chapter 45, which is one of the interludes. Quoth says, uh, clean, quick, and easy as lying. We know how it ends practically before it starts. That's why stories appeal to us. They give us the clarity and simplicity our lives uh, lack. And... I think this is true. I, I do think that there's a lot more to it than just that. I think there's a reason why simplicity matters in story and all that. And, and maybe I can get into that rabbit hole. But as it relates to this, the story is more important than the truth. Um, now, <laughs> oh gosh, I hope nobody pulls that and makes an mp3 and loops it and, and rubs my face in it because i i am a big believer in ultimate truth and all that stuff but what i mean by that is as we are listening to stories uh or reading stories it's less important that that this actually happened you know that this is non-fiction through and through i mean we read fantasy and sci-fi all day every day none of this stuff is true in right. that sense but what matters is that uh, is is that the story reflects truths, if that makes sense. And I think audiences are uh, innately aware of when a story does or does not do this, and and so they will attach themselves or not to a story as they're experiencing it. Um, and and so, gosh, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, what am I trying to say here? So I kind of think that the one area where I would want there to be truth in a in a story or, or in a piece like here, uh, kind of to what I'm understanding of your point here, uh, truth in concept, truth in um, in these. Uh, gosh, I just spaced the word. That, not <laughs> in helpful the, in the morals, in the less concepts, in, principles, in, principles, in, in, in unchanging yes. truth in principles. Nice. Because if you take something. If you're taking something from a story and you are going to act upon it, you you want what's actionable to be based on a truth. Because if it's based on a falsehood, you are probably going to discover that your path is diff you know going to be more difficult or not what was expected. So I would hope that, like, let's say in this fantasy realm, that Chronicler is writing Quoth's story. He's taking the story so that someone else can follow his path or something like that. Well, then you would want it to be true because as soon as you got to the third stop or whatever and realized that that didn't really happen, you know, you, then you start to not be able to trust and can follow that path any further. Well, for us as readers, as we're going through fiction or, or, or whatever story or even self-help books or anything like that, you want the things that are taught in there to be rooted in truth and inside of a, a, a real principle so that if you take it and you're going to apply it, you can trust that the next thing you're going to take from it is also, you know, also a value and also something that you can follow with. Um, because once that breaks, it becomes harder and harder to regain that. The trust that of the trust. audience. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And this is, I, I feel like we will get in future episodes, we'll really get into the, why haven't we seen book three yet? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, but for now, what I would say is the reason that I'm not angry about it is that, uh, 
it could be that, you know, he says, oh, I've already written all three books, right? He said that back in freaking 2008, I think. Um, it could be that that uh, that trust that he has gained with his audience, he knew that he was, you know, accidentally torpedoing that with his third book. And so he felt like he needed to rework it. It could be something along those lines where he just felt like something doesn't ring true mm-hmm. in this fake story, right? And so if it doesn't ring true, I'm not going to put it out there because it's not going to satisfy an audience. It's not going to retain that trust that we've built. So I, I don't know why he hasn't written book three, but if it's something like that, then I feel like it's 100% excusable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get on to another question again from Reddit. And this one is from user rspill. I don't know what that means. I'm assuming that's a first initial and a last half a last part, name. Part of a last name. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, now, I've never seen this username before, but I got to say, uh, this person came in strong. And I like this comment question. a lot. Uh, do you feel like there is enough, I guess, urgency for either the Chandrian story or the mystery of why he's an innkeeper? I love the writing, but it definitely feels like it meanders a bit. And we already kind of touched on this with the whole Hogwarts thing. Sure. Uh, but I wanted to ask, especially you, Ryan, how you're feeling about the the direction of the story or lack thereof at this point. Um. Because of the style and the way that we this is approached at the beginning, I don't really have a problem with it. If I could know something right now, I would want to know um, how much of a resolution he has reached by the time he's an innkeeper. Like we know that he's called. Yes. We've learned all these waypoints um, in both King Killer, both the Bloodless, and we're kind of. Because we have this list and we haven't seen them checked off, we want to go like we want to check the boxes as we go. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of with the Chandrian story and him being an innkeeper and kind of hiding or anything, I want to know has that been resolved yet, or is he in hiding from the Chandrian? Or like, I don't know those answers yet. And so, is there enough urgency or anything? Is there anything like that? I, I, the honest answer is no, because I don't know where he's coming from. I only know that he's done a few things over in this side of things right? and it has led him to be here. And so it makes for a very compelling story when we get into his narrative and saying how he got here. But in terms of where he's at now and the Chandrine story going forward, like I, I don't, I don't care about it right now because I don't know if I'm supposed to. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of odd. I, and I see where our spill is coming from because that is the central tension that's been created you know it, obviously any writer or editor is going to say well you have to have a, you have to have a goal you have to have an end yeah in mind you, right you have to know where you're going and you have to have a resolution right and so so we're given that it's quoth hates the chandrian because the chandrian murdered everybody including his parents and so he's going to get revenge on the chandrian but for the next 30 chapters we're going to hang out at Hogwarts. It's compelling. It's compelling motivation. It's compelling motivation. And the story itself is compelling. They just don't match up. And so mm-hmm. I can understand why somebody would be frustrated, but I can also understand why the way I feel is, yeah, but it's nice to read. In, it's, uh, it's interesting to read. Yeah. It would be, so to steal another story here a little bit, imagine if you took the story of Harry Potter and 
Boy, we really need to find another one to it's <laughs> juxtapose just an e- we, It's an easy We should, but it's so easy in this series. <laughs> if Harry's goal, as soon as he found out he was a wizard, was to go and kill and destroy Lord, Lord Voldemort. Which is exactly what he finds out. Well, I guess maybe Eventually, not right not, away. His not right goal, away. But his yeah. goal isn't to kill Voldemort. Right, okay. His goal is, oh, I'm a wizard. I have this different life. I, I want this different life than what I've got with the Dursleys. And I want to go to Hogwarts and I want to become a wizard. It's later down the road that he goes, I'm the chosen one. I'm the chosen one. Right. I'm going to kill Voldemort. So w- what we're doing is we're just basically, we're in- Front loading like, with book five. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and now I've totally <laughs> disconnected my- <laughs> my train, train of thought, <laughs> but that's like that's what I feel like we're we're doing with both right now and the and and the Chandrian, and I think that it's okay in this in this story right now. I but there's going to have to be some very compelling reasons why he's willing to put off that quest, because if you're trying to this concept of leveling up basically like Quill <laughs> has to level up to be able to battle this battle this level 99 oh here you go here's a, here's a different connection all right um the there are three characters in final fantasy 7 <laughs> oh, wow they're like and i wish i could remember what their names were but they're the like the main characters no they're not main characters they're side quest characters they're okay. like they're like these god type monsters that fly in the sky or whatever somebody that, is so angry with you i right know now. i know i'm really it's been a while since i've got it i have it on my phone but i haven't played it in forever but they are so incredibly leveled up that you are not supposed to be able to beat them like ever you you have to be almost at max level to beat them with most of your stuff like that's right. the point of these characters is to drive someone to that level and i feel like that is with the Chandrian, they're those characters, and right now Quoth is in the first 10 minutes of the game, 10, 15 minutes of the game, trying to figure out how he's going to go fight level 99, you know, whatever they're called. Um, and so we have to say, okay, we're going to take the time to level up, but the story has to be compelling inside of the time that we're growing. And is that the case inside the university? What is he going to learn here? What else does he need to learn before we can go ahead and move on to fighting the Chandrian or fighting these little mini bosses on the way there because as much as we may not like it there is a certain amount of that concept of of the way that video games are played that is seeped into fantasy in the idea of and leveling up and I think that they've they've fed each other that video games have taken from fantasy previously from from uh, the way the story has been written in the past of the character learning and growing and becoming stronger we've just turned it into a system a formula yeah that you can follow and so now we're almost expecting our characters to follow the same formula and do and level up yeah do that that was one thing i i I apologize for the jumping us like eight different tangents here um (laughs) oh my gosh I, I really appreciated though. This is me throwing a little Star Wars thing out there. Some it was uh, Pablo Hidalgo talked about how the Force has been gamified and turned into this. Oh this gosh. the idea of 100%. everyone oh, yeah, wants you know how is it that Ray can do this because she hasn't leveled up enough to fight right. someone who's this when that's not the way that it is. It's a connection, and and if you that's have that's not con- how the Force that's works. Not how the Force works. <laughs> yeah, if you don't, if you have that connection and are in tune with it, you are able to do more than you think. And I, I, when I read that. I don't know why it, it it broke something in my head and fixed itself, and I was like, "Oh, that's right. I get that. I have been just kind of attaching this idea of leveling up my character to be able to battle the big baddie." 
So yeah, you, right. you need a hero montage. Uh, all right. Well, Best that... hero montage, Reno Williams. It's an old 80s movie. Oh, oh yeah. He <laughs> dives headfirst into a giant pile of sand on a beach, <laughs> pops out, and then he floats above the sand. It's That, yeah. that is movie it... is so awful, and they thought that was going to become a franchise. It's It really is. <laughs> there you go. All so the, if you've never heard of it and you want a, a, terrible, a great, terrible movie to go watch, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Yep. It's got Joel Gray playing one of the <laughs> and, most racist and roles ever. And ends, by the way. Yes, and yeah. promptly ends. <laughs> Joel uh, okay. Gray is a Korean martial arts instructor. Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay, great. let's move on. Doberman Pinscher on a tight tightrope. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, uh, Mele Makani is another Reddit user who wants us to talk about the way that he gets into the university and the time that he burns him uh, and mm-hmm. how that sets the stage for the quote we know um, he kind of gets into the whole uh, Mary Sue, or no, he doesn't do the Mary Sue thing, but I mean, it kind of leads into that anyway. Um, anyway, so I, I had a question about the first one, which is how he gets into the university. And I wanted to ask you guys about it. So he, um, he he has to go through admissions, and the more you impress the masters, the, the with, masters your, sure. with your knowledge, then uh, the more you, or the less you have to pay. Right. To get into the university. So that's basically how the system works. And he knows I, I have zero money, so I need to really impress them. He sneaks into the back as like a janitor or something like that. I don't know. And he spies on a bunch of entrance exams um, and then took his then own. He, then he takes the test. And- uh, so my question for you on that is, uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. Here's here's your new um, one. He goes full Spock and takes the colonar. We can just okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Question: Is cheating morally wrong? And I, I'm not talking about like infidelity, but I'm talking about what Quoth does here to kind of get a leg up. Does is cheating? You know, whether it's a student, you know, sneaking around to find the answers to a test or something like this, you're eavesdropping so that you can get a leg up on the competition. Is it morally wrong, or is this simply a different application of the same intelligence? You say, is it is it cheating though? I mean, it, is there anything that expressly says you can't do this? This, you know? yes. So, um, if you're caught, it, it, he mentions later that's true. at the yeah. next term that if you're caught, um, it, it's an expel. It's, it's an, an ex- expulsion ex- offense. Yeah, spelling offense if you're caught doing that. So, I have to figure out how to word this properly. It's if it is cheating, yes, it is morally wrong. If it is, if what you're doing is considered cheating but does not qualify as the definition of cheating, then it's not cheating, right? Right. So That's, I would yeah. say that if it qualifies for the definition of cheating, then yes, it's morally wrong. Um, so for example, like the rule has been set, this is you know what he's done is is illegal. Like it's against the rules of the school. It's cheating. It's wrong. Like what he's done is wrong. Now, if that wasn't the case and it was just kind of a an implied like you don't go into the test or whatever well, that that's that's a loophole and right. yeah you're taking advantage of that there so i in in this case yes he it was wrong what he did um well, did he, he need to he do he didn't it? know it wasn't a, uh, you know it was so against the rules and so he doesn't do it but and so in there, the future, there's a the next moral question in the future he doesn't do it because he's afraid of getting caught and getting kicked out right right and so you could say he's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons if in fact we're saying that cheating is immoral right and there's um, your next moral quandary is ignorance an excuse or uh right you know uh, anyway excuse? so i i so. that's the only 
thing I wanted to focus on there. We could talk about the Nine Masters, but uh, really the only one that matters at this point, well, two, I guess, are Master Hem right. and Eloden. Um, yes. He doesn't matter in that scene. Right. He matters se, but later. But he matters later. Well, who's, and, the, who's the main? Um, Lauren? Is Lauren. That? Well, yeah. the archivist. The archivist. Because... Well, and Kilvin. I, but... Well, they don't, he, they don't he matter matters as later. Much. Well, this this ties back a little bit uh, to the um, more the ignorance question you just brought up, because what Kvothe did in the archives that got him expelled from the archives was right. ignorance. It was pure ignorance. And as a reader, like I wanted this wise wizard to be more just to be just and understand that oh, this he there's no way he could have known. Um, but no, he's expelled and he's now at a major handicap compared to the rest of the students because he can't even go into the library to study right. for his next, for his exams and for the next time he's got admissions and things like that. Yeah. Um, so. Well, I, I did too. I wanted him to, I wanted him to go and say, okay, I understand what happened here, but I also wanted Kavoth to fight a little bit harder for himself. It feels like he just kind of accepted, accepted this and seeing that he's 15 and these are, you know, the superintendents of the school, it doesn't surprise me that he would go, you know, I, I can't speak up for myself, but I wanted him to fight more for himself at the same time. I don't, I don't know. Well, he's, the thing is he's on tissue paper thin. Exact trust. So with these yeah. people, so it, it wouldn't surprise me that he doesn't fight harder. Yeah. And, and in Lauren's case there, he's already stuck his neck out twice for this kid. So it could be that it it could be that he says, I, I can't do it again. You know, here's your punishment. And this is a similar punishment that we would pass down to others. The other aspect is having to deal with the other perpetrator. We haven't even really talked a whole lot about, about my least favorite character and not because of, of him being the bully of him being the bully. I not just, just being the bully. He's like the textbook. So preppy kid bully. Yeah, I and right now I've got I've got so many fantasy names stuck in my head that I can Ambrose. I kept wanting to call him Asmodian. Yeah. <laughs> nice. He's Ambrose. I hate Ambrose for what he does to Kvothe. I hate Ambrose for his stature in society and the way that he uses it. I hate Ambrose for everything. Yeah. There is not a redeeming quality in that character. And I He's, want him to get his so bad. And I, I love it every time that Kvothe is able to do something to him. But I also want at some point Kvothe to be like, this guy is no longer worth my effort. Right. And I'm going to move on. And or, you know, they, they well, close everything out. This is, um, I have a feeling that he's going to end up being the uh, Bonzo from Ender's Game. Bonzo? Oh, oh yeah. Sure. Bonzo. Dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The one you're meant to hate forever. It, what's our timestamp, by the way? We're at for about forty-two minutes because the first seven and a half were. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, uh, coming in really quiet now. That I feel like I'm coming in quiet too. So I, I don't, um, I you're the same. Like, I'm the same. Just I, talk. Yeah. So I'm talking about nothing. We we better cut this. And if we don't, people will make fun of us. Yeah. Uh, but you I, are coming in softer than yeah, you were before. Right. Uh, Okay. Hey, there I am hey, again. That sounds good. Okay. Uh, Bonzo. All right. You're so, talking about so Bonzo. Bonzo. He's well. He's every Ambrose is every 
80s and every antagonist, every rich antagonist from every 80s movie that uh, every teenager had seen. He's, he's the kid that picks on Ronnie, what's his name from Can't Bite Me Love. He's, uh, um, I can't come up with any more off the top of my head. But he's, <laughs> because he's every Says one of them. the man them. who was a teenager in the 80s. Yeah. But well, he's, that's that, and that's what he is. That's what he's there to be. And and I don't think Kavoth is going to let it go. I, well, he says it. He says uh, later that Ambrose tries to kill him, and I have a feeling that that's coming to a head before the book is done too, and that he's going to do something that. That's why know. I more. That's why I kind of brought up the bone so from Ender's Game in the sense that spoilers if you haven't read it in Earth and Planet Ender's Game. Ender's Game. Um, yeah. Because Ender and Bonesaw end up in a fight in the bathroom, and Ender kills Bonesaw. Right. Like, eventually there's going to be something that comes to a head and they're going to have to thunderdome it. One man enter, two men enters, one man leaves, yeah. something. Even though that's not Ambrose's style, Gvoth is smart enough to work around everything else that he does that eventually he's going to have to be the one to get his hands dirty enough that he's going to have to take the fall if Gvoth wins. Right. Well, and he said it earlier in the book, he's, we can't, we're not allowed to fight. Well, that's a sure sign that, you know, something's going to, throw down later so. i i have no recollection of the future of the ambrose storyline uh, so i i'm i feel okay in guessing that in ambrose we have the way that both finally gets expelled yes uh, eventually that's, i think so i think that's pretty so that's my prediction there uh okay now the question i have on that really quick is is it justly or unjustly does ambrose do something that frames kavoth to get him thrown out unjustifiably. To which I would say, read, read and find, and find out. out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's that. I don't want the answer. I That's one of my questions going into the rest of the book. So there are two other characters that we need to talk about, and the one kind of leads into the other. Uh, the first one is Elodin. Uh, Elodin is the crazy master namer. Uh, yes. He, we find out that at some <laughs> point... At some point, he cracked his gourd and got sent to the nut house and got well enough that he could come out and resume his duties as Master Namer. But that's not he, how he got out. Oh, that, that's right. He broke out. He broke out yeah. of the room like oh, the, that's he true. was not supposed to be able to escape. Right. Um, so he got and out. And led to my favorite scene in this entire section. And Kvothe throws himself off the <laughs> roof. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And the way, that, the way that is written just cracked me up. Because, I mean, it's set up so that, you know, golden boy Kavoth, who can do no wrong, who is good at everything, is going to get out of this either by saving himself or boy, by Elodin, uh, you know, calling the wind and saving him. And he just he falls off the roof. And and Elodin reaches out, at, not to save him, but to say, what the heck are you doing? And he basically tells him the same thing when he finally gets to the ground and says, Why'd you jump off the roof? And teaches a very important lesson afterwards as to you always expect the moments when that great test is put in front and then, you know, the the instructor comes up afterwards and says, you have de- shown your, your dedication. Your dedication. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. And he comes up and goes, anyone who's that stupid should, does not deserve to know the, what I exactly. have to teach. Yeah. And so it's I one thing about this series, about Name of the Wind, um, everything... I, I, I try and watch for the the trifail cycle. Um, how many times it's it's frequent usually three. How many times you, does the hero have to go through something before he succeeds at it? Yeah. Um, or how many times does he succeed at something before it fails and it causes a problem? And Quoth 
has an unnatural try-fail cycle for the most part, in my opinion, um, in the sense that he succeeds almost all the almost time all on the, the time. first try. Yeah. 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 And he only fails when the story needs him to fail really bad. And, like, in this and case, it's usually it's not even his loading. fault. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not entirely his fault either. So, um, it's... a Quoth is a little bit irritating in that way, but it's also forgivable. Like, it doesn't detract from my enjoyment of the story at all. This, yeah, and that's what gives rise probably to the Mary Sue that's, argument. This is exactly but again, what drives it, yeah. I, I don't think we're there yet in the discussion, so we'll be talking more about that in the future. But the thing that I wanted to mention with Elodin is that Quoth meets him at his admissions interview, uh, where he meets all the other masters as well, and Elodin says to him something uh, which really sticks with him. There are seven words that will make a woman fall in love with you. Mm-hmm. And this is something that everybody's picked up uh, picked up on, and so I'm getting this kind of like bombarded uh, on me at or at me on Reddit all the time. So you make sure you're watching out for the seven words. Da, da, da. And uh, I got to say, I don't like the quote. I don't like the idea. I don't like Elodin for it. I don't like both for paying attention to it. And uh, <laughs> I'm wondering why we care so much about, um, you know, removing the agency of the women in this story. <laughs> I, I just don't like this whole thing. I don't think... The, here's the thing about the seven words. I don't think it removes the agency, though. I, yeah, I don't think it's it was not a literally. spell. Well, that's, well here, that's the thing is uh, what I'm hoping for is that there's some trick to this and that it doesn't mean what it appears to mean, right? And and so he'll reveal that, well, yeah, those were the words, but what I meant was, you know, because if it means exactly that, if there are seven words that will make a woman fall in love with you, then that's it. You're like, it is a loss of agency. It is right. a magic spell if mm-hmm. it's presented in the way that, that Elodin presents it. And I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's... I, and I'm, I'm. It was so mundane almost to me that I, I totally forgot it until we started bringing it up again. But I, it was something. I, I, I took it as to mean like seven words you can show that you can use to, to show a woman that you love or something like that. Like, like, sweetie, I'll wash the dishes tonight or something, something like that. You know, it was like, oh, now I love him or something. <laughs> but not a spell. It wasn't. I didn't take it to mean literally. Like, you yeah, but even that, even words, that so. would be horse manure. Well, yeah, it would. Anyway, so I I have my problems with this, but the reason it's important is because there is now a uh, a big time love interest in the story in Denna. Uh, I guess yeah, he is still calling her Denna, but she goes by a lot of other names. Well, she She, he finds out before the end of this section that that she remembers him and and he knew that it was Denna before she was going by Diana or something like that. But but she acknowledges that she's Denna, and they realize that he remembers her and. Or as she remembers him, that was the more important thing for right. him. So, uh, so anyway, they are um, young, not lovers at this point, but uh, kind of courting, I guess. Young, corny drama students with awkward flirting. Well, the, the thing is, like, he's he's awkward. She's not. No, she's, she seems to know exactly what she's doing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Ryan, how do you feel about the Dennis storyline so far? Um. I caught you unawares. No, I I have mixed feelings because I'm okay with the idea of a romantic connection with Quoth that is long-lasting and enduring, but n- not present through the whole story. Yeah, which is what the the character of Denna has been set up to be 
this in and out, in and out. This isn't a constant companion for him the entirety of his story. This is the woman who we are very apparent that he loves. It's made very apparent that he loves this woman. And well, he fifteen year old loves her. I mean, well, shut up, Ken. No, let him talk. No, no, no. I I can argue that against that point because the way he describes her at the beginning when Bass is like, "Nah, I've seen her. She has a funny nose or whatever." I, I have the way a quote he, on that. The way he describes her showcases that he still loves Denna, and despite whatever else happens in this story, whatever happens between those two, with any other woman in the in any story, because he's just saved Fella from the fire. And other than the idea of Fella being an ironic name for a woman, and I'm pretty <laughs> right. sure he did it on purpose. Fella like, and dude, yeah. Like, I think that in the end, it's always going to come back to that connection with Denna. So I'm okay with that. I think that's, yeah. But I, I at the same time, it makes me, it makes it hard for me to watch Kvothe in any other scenario and not be a little bit like Denna. Like, why are you doing this? Think of Denna. Like, or why haven't right. you done something to make things work with Denna? Like, if if you're a big draw into these, if you love the 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 romance stories in this, this story will probably frustrate you because Quoth doesn't seem to care enough. He's and he's and the it's the one or, thing or act on it enough. It's the one thing that Rothfuss has made him stupid at. He's incredibly gifted at it, but he's stupid at it the way that most men are. Admittedly, I understand this sure. principle. Believe me, <laughs> if you ever want a great romantic story about someone being stupid, ask me about my the scarf and my wife. It's a great story. Um, but sounds like a Patreon that, extra. To I was going to say that needs to be written. The scarf and my wife. But the fact is that for Kvothe being so incredibly talented about everything else, he's made stupid about how he handles Denna. But it, he also trips into the being it the right way to deal with her because every other guy that she deals with is can't figure her out can't right. she doesn't stay she she migrates and she does other things because none of them none of them can captivate her interest like he can none of them are what she needs whereas Kvothe unintentionally is and yeah i it's a good it's it is a better romantic story than a few others that we have read <laughs> yes you uh, are wanted there oh my goodness gracious <laughs> Uh, Although I ended up coming to love those two anyway. He's so he's the anti Forrest Gump and I, she's I wanna, the Ginny. I want to bring up the thing that I love about Denna and the way she's presented in the story. Uh, and it's that moment that you were talking about, Ryan, in the interlude when Quoth says there was something intangible about her, something compelling, like heat from a fire. She had a grace, a spark. She had a, crook, a crooked nose, Reshi, <laughs> said Bast. And so there's that moment. And he goes on to say, yeah, but but there was something about her. And the reason I like this so much is because it describes a 100% true phenomenon. Um, and I want to be, I want to be delicate in the way that I say this because we live in a society where unfortunately looks do matter. However, I want to go out on a limb and say that most people wildly overrate how much looks matter. Yes. Uh, I, I would agree. It's it's it is very overrated. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying we overrate it. And there is something more. Uh, so for women or men, for that matter, I will point that out because our audience is, according to the analytics, probably about eighty percent homies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for women or men, if they're if they're afraid they aren't attractive enough because people don't respond to them the way that they see people respond to somebody else who they perceive as 
prettier. I I would be willing to bet real big dollars that that person isn't unattractive or isn't uh, not attractive enough. It's that what they're lacking isn't looks, it's confidence and probably some measure of uh, sexuality in the way that they present themselves, which can be a much subtler thing than it sounds like, right? Anyway, that's what Denna exudes, is confidence and sexuality. Um, And that's what attracts both more than anything else. So Bass can be like, well, yeah, but she had a crooked nose. And that doesn't matter, you know? They're soulmates. Maybe she's not so attractive. Maybe she's not the most beautiful woman in the world. You know, maybe she's just a pretty girl who knows how to put herself forward and attract people, right? Anyway, that's... uh, it's it's an interesting thing to think about in my mind at least. And that's not to say that having and a that's crooked why, nose makes her ugly. And that's why I like reading about her at this point. I can mostly agree with what you're saying. <laughs> okay, I'm excited. <laughs> um because I disagree with the statement that confidence and sexuality is what Quoth is drawn to Denna with because like maybe I'm projecting real world issues onto the story at this point a little bit and i've honestly and that's one other area where i kind of i I disagree a little bit there is more currency spent in the exchange of in the exchange of beauty and trust that we don't ever realize it stupid little things um the additional kindness that is received by things like that like there's there's a currency there that is exchanged and unfortunately without being able to go without going getting surgery and doing other things you have a you have a finite amount of dollars based on what? your personality yeah, yeah but that's that's exactly what i'm talking about i'm but not sure that that's as true as as you're saying it is i i think the difference is here is how much that currency so i i am for lack of, we'll, we'll throw here a currency on me <laughs> this is like saying i'm a seven or whatever i'm a 70 dollars whatever here okay Whew. He, wow. is, uh, pricing, he is uh, pricing himself high in the market. Say, he, he feels confident about himself. <laughs> I, I'm a 70 here. 70 out of 100. We'll go like that because it's easier to sure, do. Sure, sure. We'll go with that. So Call yourself a 7 then. If I take that $70 and I go and try and spend it somewhere in Mexico or <laughs> or somewhere else. Where in the hell are you going with this? <laughs> I'm simply saying that the exchange rate of beauty is different depending on who is taking the money. Okay. It, it, Shorthand, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Oh, okay. That's, okay. That was faster. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> that was better. <laughs> but that doesn't change your like the currency that's exchanged. So back to the actual point that I'm trying to make here with oh. Denna here yes. is that Quoth, the moment that he is he he's met her once before. Quoth has a wildly high exchange rate for her. He's willing to pay more. It's because what finally seals it for him is the fact that she sings the other end of Sir Savian Trailyard. If you remember, she's the yeah, voice yeah. Yeah. in there. And to him, that connection matters more to him than like really than anything else. Because Kvoth, and this is not spoiling anything, Kvoth is going to meet many, many beautiful women along the way. But Denna will mm-hmm. retain because she has connected with him in a way that most other women will not be able to. Right. So far, he has met zero plain women. Yeah. Are we? This is, this is true. I don't <laughs> think Rothfuss has ever been like, this woman was, I mean, because you have, uh, have, we, have we met? Fella. De- we have fellow, but Davy. Devi. 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 Even Devi is like. Pretty. Pretty. Yeah, I, for sure. I, we haven't met an old hag yet. That, <laughs> that he's haven't had met a girl that looks like she's been hit by a frying pan. 
Uh, anyway, the, boy, this is uh, I don't. Yeah, this I don't is a rough discussion for three middle-aged men to have, but yeah. uh, but I do feel like it's an important part of the story, so I'm glad we had it, and now you can let us have it uh, on Reddit or wherever. I don't know. <laughs> fr- I'm so nervous about what people are going to be responding to. Like seventy dollars, really, really. <laughs> I basically just put up one of those roast me on Reddit's and like exactly <laughs> that up. Like yeah. Um, all right, so we are we are pretty much out of time at this point. So let's do we have any final thoughts? I feel like we've covered everything pretty well, uh, at least everything that needs to be covered. I know that there are some who want us to really do a blow by blow, chapter by chapter, and we're not yeah. going to do that. Uh, but I've I think I've talked about just about everything that I want to. How about you, Ken? Do we need to talk about how um, everything at the very beginning kind of leads to him getting banned from the archives and that kind of leads uh, to him realizing that he needs to not be a complete douche yeah basically i mean because from chapters 37 through 41 or ballparking he is really a tool bag i mean he is good at everything he knows he's good at everything he's He's using slick language to get out of stuff or get into stuff, and he thinks he's got it all. And then, and and then he uh, goes and he embarrasses the the teacher, Hen, him, him, excuse me, which uh, leads to the whipping, which leads to him being smart and taking the the route that. Okay, what's your point? Plot recap, right? Done. What are and we then, getting? <laughs> well, and that's what leads to him getting banned from the archives. Is his he outsmarted himself? Because he, yeah, because he's like, oh, I'm taking this because now I won't bleed and I'll be perceptive. But then he crashes at the very moment that he needs okay, to again, be. My point is plot done. the The point is, is he is his own undoing, and I think he needed that right at the very too point. smart for his own good. Because, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's because of the drug that he took that he wasn't aware enough to catch what was going on, so he took the candle in. Yes. Yeah. Right. Outsmarted himself, I, and yeah. I think that was important for him to learn then, because later throughout the the. 30 chapters or whatever he I, I feel like he does a better job of, of keeping himself under control as it were can I say something that I'll probably regret later oh, oh yes yeah. please oh dear I think as it's though you haven't done enough oh yes I 70 bucks I have I have even on this episode talked about Quoth being overly good at things and how it's it's annoying but how often do we do this with our own bias like this oh, might be a little bit of just us being jealous that we're not both with these things. Like, no one, it's not that easy for anyone. You know what? I know a few people who unnaturally are good at everything that they do. <laughs> and it's kind of irritating sometimes. <laughs> and I know people who have felt that way. Uh, like, or, or people who just say that about themselves, right? And this gets to the people's point about the... Uh, unreliable narrator thing. Mm-hmm. It reminds me. I, I brought up the story already, and we we kind of uh, laughed it off an episode or two ago about the story of me sneaking the girlfriend out of uh-huh. the basement, sneaking the, Ryan's girlfriend out. Yeah. The way that I, the way that I usually start that story is that this is when I realize how much smarter than my mother I am. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's how we tell stories about ourselves. So, because and the thing is, as a society, we've. There's this natural tendency to value staying on the same level as everyone else. So we have, we think that humility is important and it is because it allows us to be self-aware and kind of gauge where we're at and we can grow better when we're more aware of that. We know how to help others better. Like there's value to it. 
but we also we value perfection or we value excellence per- we value perfection and excellence but we also celebrate mediocrity sometimes in the sense of like yeah you can't be that good at it because if you're that good at it then you know it makes me less of a person right if we could discard that a little bit that wouldn't be a bad thing like as as a society to go ahead and say to to celebrate the achievements of people and that it's okay that they are Mary Sue's. Yeah. It's okay that they're Mary Sue's a right. little bit. Right. It's irritating when you're not the Mary Sue. Can, can <laughs> you be a, can you be a Mary Sue in literally your own story? Sure. Definitely. Why not? Well yeah. But I mean I am all the time. <laughs> I give myself preferential Man, I am, Absolutely. I am the best at everything I think I do. No, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's that big a deal. Well, I, I think I think uh, it's rampant Schadenfreude too. It's it's the finding pleasure in the pain of other, or or what we feel the justified uh, knocking down a peg of somebody else. And yes and no, I, I I agree with you in the sense that I think it's okay to let uh, to let people be good at something they're good at. But at the same time, if if they, I don't want to I don't want to sound petty, and I'm going to end up sounding petty. Oh, I'm if, excited. If if they lord it over somebody, and I, so don't be a dick. Ba- yeah, basically. I, I mean, isn't that the number one rule in life? It, it should be the number one rule, and it should be imprinted on everybody's forehead when they're born. Do not be a dick. I, but, I yes, yes, and there's a difference between that and I, I'm going to say I'm I'm going to steal a phrase um, uh, that. From Patton Oswalt's wife, actually, um, it's chaos. Be kind. Um, there's a difference between kindness and arrogance. Yeah, and it is sometimes difficult for people who are good at things, who are on the higher end, who we tend to consider as overly confident or arrogant, to be kind, to be that end of it. And it's um sometimes those people. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with our own perception, our own insecurities there. We're getting into a very late um, psychology session here. Oh, and yeah, we if are. we had Todd here, this would go for 35 more minutes <laughs> just on this just concept well. alone. Um, but I, I know quite a few people who they come across as very arrogant. My, I love, my wife comes across very arrogant to a lot of people when they first meet her because she is shy. Yeah, but she is also a very kind person. That's funny. I think I come across as arrogant to a lot of people because I'm not shy, <laughs> right? I can see that. I have maybe an undue amount of confidence. <laughs> I, so I, I, I think the the difference is is simply when you take that when you take whatever confidence you have, whether whatever level of aptitude you have, you talked about lording it over or anything like that. That's the difference there. It's what you take with your aptitude and do with it. Are you bettering other people? Are you, are you bringing someone along on the path? Are you saying, hey, you want to get better at this, and I happen to know that, and you want my help? Great, I'll help you out. You know, it's, it's doing that without being patronizing and saying, you know, and doing this. That's, I think that's valuable and a hard line to not cross. Oh, yeah. And Kvoth, at different times in this story, will cross the line on both sides. He will be an amazing help to someone and he will be kind and he'll be all these things and other times he will be too full of himself and too smart for his own good and we you, you'll be able to gauge where he is on that line based on the reactions of the other people around him i think that's right all right and based on the reac- reactions of yourself probably 
as a reader. That's uh, that's where I wanted to end up was I, I have read this before and I never even thought about the whole Mary Sue thing until people started pointing it, pointing it out to me here. I enjoyed reading both probably because of his perceived excellence. Um, I, I really, I like that. I think we have an unfortunate tendency to favor the underdog, but that's a discussion for another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is all the time that we are going to give to this episode. So, Quoth is an underdog though. He absolutely is. <sighs> all right. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. That's a tease. Shut a tease for the next time. Up. It's a tease for next time. Just stop Dude, talking. I am going to come over there and knock that hat off you. <laughs> okay. What a threat. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, make sure you head to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Go to thelegendarium.reddit.com to join the conversation. And go to Instagram.something, search the legendarium. We're on there, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's fine. If you want to follow us, you can. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you next week for a show that is about something that I'm not sure of yet. Uh, maybe it's our other name of the wind one. Maybe it's not. It'll be a big surprise. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you later. <laughs>